When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Everything about this moment in history seems uniquely designed to challenge our mental health. We are suffering, we need answers, and we need help. That's why I'm so thrilled to be partnering with Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound to host their new podcast series, Going There. I'm Dr. Mike Friedman, clinical psychologist and life coach. With Going There, I will talk with musicians who struggle with their mental health, just like us. After all, mental illness affects us all. And the same artists who have stepped up to share their wonderful work with us are now sharing the intimate details of their journey in living with mental illness. We are going to ask the tough questions, and we're going to have the difficult conversations, all so that we can learn from each other. But more importantly, to shine a light on the difficult topic of mental illness so that we can all come out of the darkness and get the care we need. So we hope you join us on this journey. Going there. The crossroads where music and mental health meet. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. I'm Lior Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series 
presented by WFPK and WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks for making your way here, checking out the series here. Uh, hopefully you like what you hear enough to hit the subscribe button. I do three interviews every single week, a brand new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So uh, if you want to keep up with your favorite artist, if you want to uh, discover some new ones, if you just want to know what's happening in the music world, subscribe at iTunes, Apple Podcast, at Spotify, Acast, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you like to get your podcast from. I'm Kyle Meredith, and today, my guest, I'll be talking with Dallin Weeks of the band I Don't Know How, But They Found Me. We're going to be discussing the band's debut LP, Razzmatazz, a record made up of songs uh, dealing with isolation and loneliness, which, you know, well-timed right there. Uh, He'll tell us about uh, the breakthrough single, Leave Me Alone, being inspired by some Bowie prints, and curiously, Don Henley, uh, growing up on the Gen X millennial line and what that's meant for his uh, pop culture intake, as well as the importance of keeping this duo, uh, this band, a bit mysterious, something that's uh, that's you know kind of gone out of the way uh, post-internet age, I guess. Uh, that goes along with the theatrics also in this group, uh, taken, uh, inspired by, I guess I should say, from uh, things like Sgt. Pepper and Ziggy Stardust. We're also going to geek out about the uh, spoken word bridge, something that was very popular back in the uh, 30s and 40s. Uh, Dallin, of course, once in Panic at the Disco. We'll talk a little bit about what that's meant to his songwriting. He tells us about a possible graphic novel in the works uh, with DC Comics. That should be really, really cool. And how do you work all of this high concept of, uh, of what they've got going on into the live show? So let's do this. It's Kyle Meredith with I Don't Know How, But They Found Me. Thank you very much. It's very nice. It's interesting, too, because we're hearing a lot of music coming out around this time, and it's eerily connecting uh, with stuff that, you know, musicians didn't see coming. But, uh, you know, those old tropes that uh, everybody writes about really becomes spot on in this past year. This record does come across as an album about um, not being able to connect with someone. We know what that means now. What did it mean then for you when you were writing it? Well, the past decade or so, uh, you know, before I moved back home to Salt Lake City, I was living in LA and being a musician out there. And it was, I was just sort of orbiting this weird world of fame and celebrity and money, not really being a part of it, but uh, just kind of being around it and observing a lot of it. But uh, the, the feeling of really not being welcome there uh, it, it can be a very isolating feeling. So a lot of the songs uh, on this record have to do with that feeling of isolation and frustration and loneliness and anger and all of those feelings that come with uh, sort of being on the, the outside looking in, I guess. But to a certain degree, you know, just because of Chance releasing this record, even as you look back five years from now, it almost does become, you know, the pandemic record. Yeah, yeah, it's it's sort of, you know, born out of necessity, I guess. I mean, even the way that we do uh, the music videos for this thing, it's all about making safety the priority and COVID restrictions and, and being COVID compliant while we film this stuff. So those those two things have just sort of become interconnected and, and married to each other through, through no, uh, you know, through no fault of our own, I guess, but just a reflection of the times, I guess. Do you think that that's had to change whatever creative vision that you might have had in play beforehand, the way you've had to do it? No, I think it kind of helped, actually, because usually art is a reaction to or a reflection of the things that you're experiencing in that moment. And uh, I try not to to pre-plan out too many things, um, like uh, whether it's the themes of a record or the aesthetics of the artwork afterwards or the visuals of uh, music videos. Uh, 
because I, I want them to be as, as current as they, they can be. Um, so even if I'm singing a song or, or have a song on the record that I wrote two or three years ago, I want it to be able to connect with where I'm at right now. So um, yeah, we, we, ma we make a, like a rough plan, but we leave space for life to find a way, I guess, just Jeff Goldblum would say. It's interesting, though, you know, the way you talk about that, too, because there, there is a lot of uh, present talking to past throughout. I mean, even just the sound of it. I know that's been talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the song I, I know everyone's grabbing onto right now with Leave Me Alone. I mean, the first time I heard it, I kept looking. It's like, which one is it? it Bowie? Fame? Is it? Is there? Is there? Is that? Is the DNA in there a little bit? A little DNA. I, I uh, sat down. I want, when I wrote that one, I wanted it to sound like if Bowie and Prince and Don Henley got into a bar fight. Don Henley. That's an interesting third. I wouldn't have put in there. Where does that kind of come in? I don't want to be too specific because I want to stay out of you know court with with the Henley. <laughs> right. But there's some Henley DNA in there too. It's, you just gotta, you gotta pick it out. It's interesting. You and I are the the same age. Um, I think you're a few months ahead of me, but we're both born in 1981. And it's it's only till recently I've noticed um, outside of our age that 80s Bowie really became a big thing because it used to be just trashed on so much. And that was, I mean, to me, I don't know if it's the same way to you, but to me, like that was, you know, like the 80s Bowie was the god of Bowie, you know, I mean, Labyrinth's probably helping out some in that. I, I didn't discover like Ziggy Stardust and anything prior to that until I was in my early 20s, maybe. Yeah. You know, and, until then, David Bowie was uh, the Goblin King. You know? Codpiece and all, right? Uh, codpiece, and especially the Codpiece. I think he entered the room Codpiece first, you could say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of curious though, because of that, because of what you know, the the era that we're talking about here, I mean, only because my wife and I were talking about, we're kind of line babies as far as generations go. You know, she was born two years later, '83. She's like a elder statesman of the millennials, whereas I think technically we're supposed to be millennials. But I, I'm totally I, I relate Gen X for just about everything. Where do you come in? Yeah. I'm right in that line. I, I think technically, like I, I Googled it. I think that's what the kids call it now is Googling. But uh, I, th I think technically I'm like an ancient millennial. So I'm not quite sure where I fit in. But uh, in the time we grew up in the time when the MTV generation was happening, even though we weren't really a part of it, we, we saw it happen. And it was uh, sort of in the in our peripheral vision you know, when we were kids. And that's how mm -hmm. we discovered art and music. And that's how I discovered The Cures. By hap just, I happened to be somewhere that had cable TV when I was uh, 12 years old, maybe, uh, or something like that. And saw a music video for The Cure. And I'm like, what is this? I have to know everything. So, you know, back then there was no internet. You had to chase down the things that you loved. You had to go to a record store and find magazines and interviews and, and keep your eyes locked on MTV all day long in the hopes that they would play it again at some point. So finding things I think uh, meant a little bit more back then because you had to put in that footwork. It's also sure. instantaneous now. So things can come and go very easily, I think. Well, that's why I appreciate what you're doing because you've, you've integrated that into this band right here. You didn't make it easy at first for everybody to find it because, because I, I agree with you. I, I felt a deeper connection and I'm trying to think, you know, obviously I am older and things change, but even when I, you know, look to younger friends and I have a son, you know, and that whole thing, it's like, it does seem like there was a deeper connection to the artist because you had to try harder. Working that into, I don't know how, but they found me, was that intentional? Yeah, it was very intentional. The first year or so that we spent being a band, we did it in secrecy. And 
and uh, would just book shows on our own, not tell anyone what we were doing and, and flat out even deny that we existed at all. Once, you know, words started getting out about this band, like, is this you or did you guys play a show here last night? And they would show us pictures and stuff and we'd have to say, oh, no, it's handsome guys, but that could be anybody. You know? <laughs> what are you talking about? But uh, it was a, our way of, you know, trying to build this band from the ground up as honestly and as ethically as we could, because we didn't want to take advantage of the bands that we were working for or their fans. We wanted to be our own thing and have those worlds exist as separately as possible. And that was the challenge for us. So our, our best way to face that challenge was to do it in secret and invite people to come and find us if you want to find us. We're not going to try to sell it to you. We were not going to say, you know, subscribe to this and follow us here and all the stuff you're supposed to do. We decided to take the opposite approach and it worked out. Which is just amazing because when you think of just how much music is out there, how much content in the world is out there, how many instant choices people have. I mean, it, it says so much about what they found when they found you. Yeah. 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 The, the, the trouble can be like, um, it's, it's a double sided coin in, I think in the best way possible because so many people have the ability to make music on their own and put it out into the world on their own. And that's wonderful. But the hard part is, is wading through all of the noise and finding those special, you know, dots of light uh, amidst all of the, you know, the average Joe who's making a, a, a TikTok rap trying to go viral, you know, finding the, the gems out there that becomes the challenge, I think. But you have taken it further. I mean, now there are storylines that we read about, you know, and you, you, we keep up with those in the music videos. I, I was thinking back, like, the opportunities because a lot of bands don't really take this opportunity to make this whole three-dimensional picture however you want to call that like i was thinking back to um do you remember nine inch nails when they released year zero did you keep up with that at all you know I, back in the day i wasn't a uh, big nine inch nails fan I've, I've come to appreciate uh their work and trent Reznor's work a lot more as i've gotten older and you know kind of hindsight being 2020 like i'm a big fan of of his work now but but uh, my my inspiration when it comes to things like you know fictional storylines and and uh, concept records was like uh, the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper, and what I discovered when I was like 15, 16 years old, and then you know uh, Ziggy Stardust later in life, and and finding artists who would create these fictional worlds as a way of presenting their music where they may be singing about very real things. They've just added this sort of extra layer of entertainment and that's there for the people that care to dive into it and so we just wanted to do something similar you know let the music be able to stand on its own but uh, have this other thing that uh, you're invited to to dive into if you if you care to but the opportunity that you all have i mean you've i think already been able to take it even further than than the Beatles or Bowie have, you know, just circumstance of, of eras right there. You know, you had the album and whatever was written about it. And then maybe you had the live show, certainly not with the Beatles. They did the movie, but, uh, you know, Bowie, you weren't, you not so far able to take this on, on the road yet. Do you work the storyline into the live show? Do you anticipate being able to do that? Ideas are, are often constrained by, by budgetary uh, limitations. So, you know, in my head, I've got this stadium sized uh, uh, set pieces and, and light shows and lasers and all sorts of stuff. But uh, once once I see the budget on paper, that sort of dictates what your vision gets to look like. <laughs> so if touring becomes a thing again one day and, and we get that piece of paper that 
that's got that number on it. That'll that'll definitely be a determining factor. Well, it, it is um, seeing where you could take this and everything. I mean, graphic novels, whatever. Like, I would love to see, which is a thing we're talking about actually. That it's oh, really? come up more than once because I'm a comic book fan. It's, but I'm I'm not a comic book writer. So so we've been talking to a few different people um, at uh, DC, uh, mm-hmm. just very casually so far to see if it's something that we could uh, maybe pursue in, in lieu of you know touring you know some sort of other creative project to to keep us our our minds occupied well that'd be cool i'd love to see that i really would i want to ask about some of the tracks on here too you get really early on nobody likes the opening band which i know it's been around for a few years finally makes this record here and it's just this like the first time i heard it though was on the album you know like i hadn't heard about like in hearing it it's just if you've been in music long enough you know everything that you're talking about and it becomes the perfect opening song too. Like, did you like intentionally write this as an opening song? I well, I did, and I I didn't put it first on the record because I think people were expecting to. So it's I I, I just can't stand doing what's expected of me. So for better or for worse, I, I put it later in, in in the playlist. I think that bummed a lot of people out, but I don't care. I just I can't help myself. But uh, but yeah, I wrote that song in about thirty minutes on the way to one of our early shows. Uh, we had a, an opening spot and on the way down there, I just kind of wrote this little tune. And when I got to the show, I'm, I was like, look, Ryan, before, you know, we start our first song, I had this little thing that I want to do on the other side of the curtain. When you hear me sing this last note, that's when we'll start our first song. And he's like, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> but, but he trusted me and he let me go out there and do it. And it's become a staple. So whenever we open a show, it's the first song that we play. If we're headlining a show, we won't play it unless we talk to the openers beforehand and we'll say, look, we have this song. And it's not about disparaging anyone. It's about giving new things a chance. That's sort of the heart of it. But uh, if the openers weren't cool with it, we we won't play it. But luckily, everyone has always understood like the the conceit behind it. And, and sometimes we'll even invite the singer from the opening band up on stage to sing an additional verse called Nobody Likes the Headlining Band. <laughs> And that's always really fun. That's great. I don't know how often you've done it. You, you've said, you know, when you're headline or when you're opening or whatever at this point, you, you open with it too. Do you find that it's grabbing the attention of that audience a little bit quicker? Yeah, it's a little bit jarring, I think, because uh, oftentimes what we'll do at acapella, just sort of a stomp and snappy thing, you know, take the stage and and just start doing that. And everyone in the room is like, what is going on? Is, is this guy testing the microphones or something? We'll start singing and just like, address the elephant in the room you know we know that you're not here to see us but uh, if you give us a chance you might just you might just like it um and uh, it, it's always gone over really well it just goes to prove like there is an enormous amount of theatricality with everything that you do especially within your music though i mean you hear it in these songs that song it's got plenty of others throughout the record where does that come from for you does that come from any specific spot in your songwriting it's probably an amalgamation from a bunch of different places uh you know, filtered through the lens of rock and roll. Uh, yeah, I was never a theater kid, but uh, there's certainly been musicals that I've had an affinity for, like uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Growing up, I was a big fan of that. You know, the kind of musicals that are a little bit left of center. They're not necessarily like that mm-hmm. musical, you know. But uh, other sort of theatrics that uh, I've become accustomed to were, you know, filtered through the lens of like Queen or from like uh, David Bowie or any number of rock and roll artists that, that sort of married that into their live show. I've 
been a fan of you know per, that kind of performance so I, I try to do it my own way when you know shows are a thing well i'll tell you when i get down to from the gallows on the record i'm um i think i clapped i like like actually clapped because you brought something back very popular in the 50s early 60s and that was the spoken word bridge which we do around my house as a joke all the time where I, you know my wife will say something and i'll just look at her and say baby and then i'll just repeat everything that she just said that's how they start <laughs> baby or darling yeah, that's baby or darling that's it but the, that one actually uh goes back to the 30s uh i was a huge fan i still am a huge fan of this jazz group called the ink spots you know, i don't want to set the world on fire great song yep uh, they had this formula for writing songs and every one of their songs followed that formula so me writing from the gallows was sort of taking the ink spots formula and and turning it into like a lawrence welk song on acid and it it ended up being one of my favorite tracks on on the record it was so i don't know anybody that I, I can tell you for certain i've never been in an interview where the ink spots has been invoked and i really really appreciate that right there <laughs> you know they they uh they've had a sort of resurfacing because i think one or two of their songs are, are featured on some video games now. I'm not a big gamer. I couldn't tell you the names of them, but uh, more fans uh, have recognized that uh, Ink Spot's influence with that song than I ever thought would uh, before. But I guess it's because of things like video games, which is great. I, th I think uh, you know all of that, all of that really old uh, jazz stuff needs to be appreciated on a on a bigger level. I'm sitting right by a, a stack of 78s over here. I'm going to have to, I'd say dust off, but I think that dust is embedded in them forever. It's, you can't get that stuff out at this point. You have to add the dust now. Right. Did you? I, I am curious, you know, it was alluded to a little bit ago, you know, previous bands don't want to rest on the laurels of that. Uh, what, do they play any role in either of your lives at this point? Uh, previous bands, no. Um, you know, we were both really fortunate uh, to, to be employed as musicians in any kind of capacity. Uh, you know, if you're a musician and you have a job where you have a regular paycheck you can count on and you know, that's, that's it, you've made it. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to have. Um, so it was a difficult thing to, to walk away from, but uh, we just both got to a point where we felt like um, betting on ourselves and making the kind of music that we wanted to make rather than, you know, make other people's music. Um, which can be a challenge of its own. Uh, but, but finally having an opportunity to, to just go from here to finished product with nothing standing in between it to water it down or change the meaning or anything like that. It's, it's, um, it's something that we had to do, I think. I, I think I remember an interview that you were talking about uh, recently where you said you, you had to kind of shake that off of you at one point uh, when you started writing these songs. That, that's really interesting to me too. Like, like how... Like, like, what did that mean actually when you were talking? Because as you're saying, when you wrote for Panic, there was, there was a lot of stuff in between uh, beyond just you writing the song and it releasing. Like, what did that mean for you as a songwriter to have to adjust? Well, I, I think also when you're writing for another artist, uh, you have to keep their, their world in mind and their brand, their past, uh, things they've done before. Um, so you're writing from not necessarily your own point of view, but you're trying to incorporate their point of view into your writing, which is its own challenge. So I did that for almost 10 years. 
So it kind of took me a minute to remember how to write for myself, how to be myself on stage, how to uh, be a front man, um, things like that. so uh, playing in secret, I think, served another purpose. It, it allowed us to sort of find those roles again without, you know, all of the iPhones recording every misstep that we may have had along the way. I didn't actually consider that. And that's really obvious, too. I mean, being able, coming from very, you know, other famous bands and everything, there's no anonymity, right? And so you would be progressing in real time in front of everyone. And that's, that's, that is really interesting. Exactly. And, and it was, you know, nothing is instantaneous when you take on something new that's, there's a learning curve. So we had to learn how to play as a two piece and how to put on a show that's entertaining with just two people. So it, uh, it wasn't all, you know, here we are and the, the curtain goes up and we're, I don't know how all of a sudden, you know, we, we had to find out what this thing is bit by bit. And, uh, night by night playing in front of strangers to see if the music that we were making could get people's attention on its own, you know, without us waving some big banner that says, Hey, formerly of over here, we right. didn't want to do that. So I think doing it in secret that way provide us with an opportunity to sort of find ourselves again. So what comes next then? Um, I mean, obviously, I think people are looking forward to shows and it sounds like maybe that's going to happen towards the end of this year. But but are there more music plans that you've got, Roland? I mean, we're collecting ideas and, and like you said, trying our best to not rest on our laurels. Um, and we've certainly got more than enough for another record, but it's super early stages right now. When I say like we have more than enough another record I'm like little tiny bits and pieces of song ideas that we really like we just need to make them into songs instead of jingles you know so it's a super early stages but it is fun and 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 we're we're uh, we're rolling pretty good working working on this new stuff so well, it's absolutely impressive what you pulled off already. Uh, this record is so much fun to listen to. I know that there's some heavy subjects going on. I know it's a deep, dark record in one side of things, but it's such a fun record to put on and dance around to. I can't thank you enough for making it. Well, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for talking about it, too. Hopefully we'll see you sooner than later. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> no problem, Gabe. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the debut record from I Don't Know How But They Found Me is called Razzmatazz. It's out now. Thanks to you for checking out this episode. Please do subscribe to the series to keep up with all of the interviews, all of your favorite artists, brand new ones every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Acast, YouTube. There's a video version of this interview at YouTube. Just search Kyle Meredith with wherever you get your favorite podcast from. Hit that subscribe button. Then head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. That's an hour full of song premieres and music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews, big themes. Again, Monday through Friday, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of them, at Kyle Meredith. Please do like and follow along in those places as well. I'm doing some extra bits over there. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. The weirdest one I ever got was, hi, I'm Dallin. And then they said, Gabe? And I said, no.
not even a little bit, Gabe. Did you have an aneurysm or something like this? I have the same thing. I've done, and, and this has happened many, many times, not just once where I've said, my name is Kyle. And they said, Ryan. <laughs> it's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.